Welcome to the Camera Shake Podcast, episode 116, the podcast where we talk about photography, videography, and anything that's got anything to do with any of that. Now, we're back. We're one day late. Sorry about that. But we're reunited. We are. In a different location. In a different location, yeah. not in the studio. It's a very hot day, so we figured we'd just go for a drive and have a chat. Another hot day. Anyway, mm. let's, let's we go. go. All right, here we go. I see you. I don't even know where we're going, actually. Where should we go? If you watch the background, you can get a tour, tour oh, of, yeah, true. of Eden, true. <laughs> Windsor. <laughs> that is very true. All right. This Let's is be all you for a second. Well, this is, this is the second time that we've done this sort of driving episode. The first time we were on, on route to a job in London. Today oh, is just going right. to be a joyride. I've forgotten all about that. Haven't we done it? Oh, plus when we went to see Dave, obviously. Oh, yeah. Correct. That wasn't quite the same, though, was it? Not quite. That was just some behind the scenes. True. Sort of thing. Very true. And we actually have no idea whether you can uh, hear us or not. <laughs> We're still testing out the uh, the Roll, Road, what are they called? Roll, road Go 2. Wireless Go 2. Wireless Go 2. Ah. And uh, I had a few issues with it last time, so we're going to give it another go. Totally different setting and uh, see if we get any different different results. Yeah, see if you can hear our voices over the wind noise. Um, you you will. In the car. I'll cut all that out. Right. Well, uh, you know, maybe I'll do a quick, this is without, this is, this is with and without. Exactly. Uh, which way should we go? We'll go left. So we're... Back in the UK, or well, I'm back in the UK, but not for very long because I'm actually flying out again next Wednesday. Oh, are you? Yeah. Then back out for another week. You really don't want to be here, do you? <laughs> Surprise? <laughs> <laughs> no, so I've, I've been away for two weeks. Um, now I'm back for about 10 days and then um, out again on Wednesday. So the next episode, actually, in fact, the next episode we'll have to plan, we'll, we'll shoot here. Mm -hmm. And then the one after that we'll shoot yeah. remotely. So yeah, so follow us for that. But for today, well, first of all, let's just talk about some news. Any particular news? Good question. What news is there? Um, uh, well, it's, it's a bit geeky, and I don't know if um, anyone's going to be interested, but I'm going to tell you anyway, because it's really important for audio, and it's just what I mentioned. So I've got a new plugin I'm using on audio right now, which is run by AI and it gets rid of all, for the majority of cases, all background sounds. So hopefully Ooh. it's going to be doing a good job right now and you won't hear anything other than our voices. So here we are testing that right now. Yeah. I've only used it a couple of times so far. It's quite CPU heavy. Um, so you probably, you don't want to run more than a couple of these uh, in a session. Um, but initial, thoughts are it's great so it's by waves and it's called uh clarity so this is one of the major major problems i think when it comes to audio especially for video because typically when you record audio for video uh, and you're not in a controlled studio environment you always pretty much always have to deal with background noise when you're on location that's right yeah and i mean you couldn't have any more background noise than this right now well this is true this is very, very true. So this will really test this plugin 
to so its it, limit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm also not sure whether we're blowing out right now or not. <laughs> I've got like, what, four stops of ND going on? Well, luckily, if you are listening to this on audio, uh, then uh, you won't have that issue, but well, <laughs> you, you might have to deal with not being able to hear us at all. Right? <laughs> you know what? It's so going to be what it's going to be. Exactly. I think it's going to be fine. Exactly. It's a test. Yeah. We're known for test. testing things on this. We are. On this podcast. And hopefully they generally work out, but we'll see. So we'll your interesting see. thing you, you mentioned about taxing the CPU, because I had some taxing CPU issues um, of my own. Okay. The other day. Yeah. So um, I, uh, I had to, my, my daughter went and uh, shot some video and uh, came back. You know, I looked at the shots. Um, they looked okay, but they were on the dark side. Okay. So the exposure wasn't, she didn't really quite nail the exposure um, on the day. So, you know, I had to kind of bring the exposure up a little bit, which of course introduced noise because I have no idea what I thought she shot it on. That was another thing. Um, but it ended up being really quite noisy. Okay. So I ran neat denoiser. You did what? You know, the neat denoiser. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which worked like a treat. Good to that. Not Easter. It was really amazing. However, boy, did it yeah. pop down my CPU. Oh, yeah, my God. You got a decent machine. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was, I mean, it was noticeable, noticeable. You know, the whole video is probably about 20 minutes long or something like that. Or maybe half an hour long, actually. And it took a good, once I'd done any, everything else, I ran the, uh, the denoiser at the very end. Yep. And it probably took about five hours. Yeah. How many images are we talking? Well, no, this, this, this is video. Like, oh, 30, video. 30 right. Minutes. Yes, of course. Yeah, right. Good. 30 minutes and it took five hours. Yeah. It was just slogging away. <laughs> it was very oh. noisy footage. Though. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. Um, that reminded me of the good old days of like, you know, CS. Three, CS2, yeah. CS3, something like that. So, knee is, um, you, uh, is heavy. And there are Very particular heavy. ways to set it up, actually, processes yeah. to go through to get the maximum benefit for hopefully as little, well, artifacts, I guess, and yeah. things like that. Um, but I, I stopped using it once I moved to Resolve. Right. Uh, because of Resolve is. Uh, just as good. Okay. Uh, maybe not in every scenario, and it's got the edge in certain circumstances, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it it does add time, obviously, to export, but not a huge amount. I mean, uh, it's very efficient. Yeah, Neat really worked well. I mean, I have to say, it did really get rid of the noise. I mean, it did do a great job. Yeah. Um, you know, and it didn't blur it out at all. You know, it still looks sharp. Like, the image is good. It's really enhanced. Um, the whole thing. So, so that was, you know, it worked really well, but man, I had to wait for it. What was it filmed on? On the D750. 750. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think what actually happened was, um, is that she ramped up the ISO too high. Yeah. And then, um, it didn't really work with the aperture to get a good exposure. So. But actually, you know, the end result was really just that it was slightly too dark and still too noisy. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember rightly, once you start hitting sort of 800 or so, it starts 
the noise starts to creep yeah, in exactly. quite a bit on that. Um, yeah. Still perfectly usable, mind you. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. And even probably up to oh, 1600, maybe not, but yeah. Okay, well, that's cool. Show me about the ex export time. <laughs> yeah. So. Have you got a before and after little clip that we can potentially add in here if we've got time? I, prob I would probably have to render that out again. For Excellent. Like, do it. Yeah, do that. <laughs> for, for do that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, again, you know, it worked well. It's the first time I've used it. Well, the first time I've used it properly, actually. And um, or even a still with it turned oh, yeah, I can get off, off the finished article and um, yeah. maybe the same frame, give or take, yeah. with it turned off on the, your machine. That'd be good. So yeah. So that was uh, that was quite eventful. They're just stopping there, is he? So the other thing... Well, actually, I'll tell you what, the other thing that um, that I did whilst I was in Germany was a little bit of black and white sort of street photography. Okay. Not necessarily street, not necessarily street photography, I would say, but just, you know, I was just enjoying uh, some of the black and white presets I set up on my Fuji, because that's all I took. Yeah. And then, of course, what I did do was um, I... I basically recorded last week's episode entirely on the Fuji, mm -hmm. uh, which worked extraordinarily well. So surprisingly, when you get to grade the actual footage, the actual video, it's super easy to grade. Mm -hmm. Really no problem at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, Good. Yeah. So for what it was, it actually looked, it looked okay. One of the downsides is that the Fuji only has like a 14 minute recording. That's a pain. But it's a real pain. The, the entire episode was relatively short. So it was really is it, do you know if it's 8 bit or 10 bit footage that that records? Zero idea. Yeah. It just recorded 4K, so it was 1080, you know, strictly. But, yeah. But actually, the way it looked, it actually looked good. You know. And that's it. You mean, it's. It this is it with these type of things. It depends what you're doing with it. If you want something that just is good straight out of camera, you just you know it's that's easy enough to to achieve, right? Um, it's only when you start wanting to do a lot more with it is when probably something like the Fuji will start to break oh, down. Absolutely, you know. But that's not necessarily what you're doing, is it? So the thing, all? yeah. But the thing there is, is I think is that you know you ultimately need the, the right tool for the job. And I kind of I thought about something that we could do in maybe next week's episode, um, and that is you know we could have a look at the best kind of entry level cameras for video. Okay. Yeah. You know I had uh, I'd originally planned to do that for today's episode, but seeing that we're in the car, <laughs> changed plans a little bit. There is that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I I thought it'd be a really good idea just to kind of get an overview over of the best entry level cameras specifically for video. Mm -hmm. And I've, I have a feeling that there's a pretty good overlap. I think there's a lot out there, between actually. Between photo and, uh, and yeah, video in that, in that yeah. respect. There's, there's been a whole bunch of really cool entry-level cameras um, that have you know, come out over the last 18 months or something that, uh, you know, that would really absolutely do the trick. <sighs> Silence. I have no idea where we are. You don't need to know. Right. Yeah. It'll just be some 
back end of nowhere. There'll be a white van waiting to take you away. Join us on this ride through the English countryside. Anyway, so for today, as we're accelerating and nearly hitting the speed of sound, the speed of sound, <laughs> I thought we'll talk about the top 10 beginner mistakes in photography. We've all made them. Still make them. And st <laughs> we're still making them. Um, but I think we'll, you know, we all have our, sort of our, own, our own personal top 10 of yeah. beginner mistakes. Absolutely. Some of them are maybe more beginner than, than others. Come on then. What we got? All right. So, I, I, is, really, is this in any particular order? It's in no particular order, actually. Fair enough. No, no. no I think, though, but the, for me, the number one beginner Before mistake. you do say number one, mm -hmm. can you just let everyone know when you wrote these down? Literally, they came to me on the way from my house to your house. So how did you write all that information down? That would have been not necessarily particularly legal. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's um, no evidence of that, though. Well, you know, I can multitask. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I can do nothing with either Well, hand. the disadvantage is yeah, I can barely read my handwriting. <laughs> it's worse than it normally is. Brilliant. <laughs> anyway, so I think my number one beginner mistake is it's really focusing too much on gear. Yeah. In the very beginning. I think that's one of the things that I find, you know, speaking to a lot of people who are just getting into photography, they've really, you know, they really focused way too much on gear. Um, and I think I can, I'm probably guilty of the same thing. Absolutely. I think originally, I, was I think we all definitely. are, definitely. But, um, but I think the thing to realize is, is that, you know, if you can't use an entry level camera and you can't get any good images out of an entry level camera, then, then, you know, using a more expensive camera isn't really going to make any difference to that. No. You know, so, it, you know, it will, yeah, as a, we've said many times, it will, give you added convenience and some you know higher resolution things like that sure but that doesn't detract from it being a well that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a better photo no and focusing on gear isn't going to make you a better photographer i mean it's fun we all know that right but it's it's not really going to make you a better photographer no it's you know no it's, you know, no, it's the opposite really isn't it yeah i mean i think you're better off you know spending more time learning and practicing you know with your you know, Canon, Rebel, entry-level camera, whatever it is that you may have. Yeah. Um, you know, and be, and get better that way, because ultimately, you know, you have to keep doing the thing, you know, to get better at it. Absolutely. So yeah, focus on gear. It's not necessarily a waste of time, but in terms of you know, if you really want to progress uh, as a photographer, I think. You know, you could spend your time more wisely. And I guess it's worth mentioning, you know when the right time to to change gear is for sure i mean when the equipment that you're using isn't capable of achieving the results that you want to achieve then you're probably in the right spot to yeah look at an upgrade certainly worth considering at that point yeah i mean a good example you know i mean gear when we, when we talk about gear you know we, of course we talk about camera bodies and lenses and all the rest of it you know for example but um you know, let, I mean, okay, so let's stick with lenses for a second. Let's say, for instance, you know, you're, you get a camera, you're really into landscape photography, you go out there, you know, you've got 
a lens that will do the trick, you know, for, for landscape, um, you know, a kit lens or something like that. And then you might at some point want to get into portrait photography. Um, and when it comes to portrait photography, you really need to make sure that you're using the, the you know, the right focal length. That's not necessarily the same as, as it will be for landscape photography. Mm -hmm. We'll come back to that actually a little bit later as well, more specifically, but that's really a good opportunity to think about, well, maybe I can you know, buy some extra gear, maybe an extra lens. Doesn't have to be expensive because let's face it, you know, you don't have to get a 50 mil or an 80, uh, you know, 85 um, millimeter, like 1.2 or 1.4 lens. You can perfectly start off with a 1.8, which yeah. is a much cheaper option and it will totally do the trick. Because the reality is in portraiture, you very rarely ever actually shoot it. I know, don't at, particularly at like the look. Um, any lower than 2.8 yeah, or that a, much. It's, it's very particular. Exactly. Plus, you know, once you get into, um, you know, to using additional lighting, like a speed light, for example, or multiple speed lights, you know, some modifiers, then really, you know, you're shooting, you're most likely going to be shooting at apertures more like 5.6, you know, yep. 7.1, so something, you know, around that area. So you don't necessarily need to really worry about whether, you know, your lens goes up to 1.4 or 1.8, really at that point. You know, and you can save yourself a lot of money by buying a slightly cheaper, you know, prime lens. Absolutely. I think the first lens I ever, ever owned was uh, the, the the plastic Nifty 50. Yeah, same, <laughs> same. I mean, apart from apart from the kid lens that came with my first camera body, I think. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a kid um, lens of mine. It was um, like, a, I think it was a Sigma, I, don't know, I, can't, I actually can't remember. It's a zoom lens, you know. Typical. Um, but if you've got a kit lens that, you know, is a 24 to 70 or something like that. It's usually like an 18 to 55. It's like a typical, yeah, just something like that. Use it. Understand what that each particular focal length looks like, yeah. you know, you know, at least the, the extreme ends of it and really understand what that's doing in your image in different situations, whether you're shooting a person or um, you know, or, or a landscape, you know, what is it actually doing to the image at that focal length? And, and you'll always, learn, you'll learn what you like, yeah. what looks good, what doesn't work at all. <laughs> and eventually you can go out when that lens no longer gives you the quality that you want, um, or isn't fast enough. And you can go and get a, you know, a, a 50 or an 80 or whatever it might be. Right. Cool. The, the other argument, of course, is, you know, rather than getting another lens, uh, you might be better off actually just getting a cheap speed line. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and learn, you know, off camera flash, yeah. for example, you know, that's, uh, that's a really good thing to do, especially at the beginning. You know, I, I think light is such an important factor that you want to be able to control and handle at the beginning that it's, you know, I, I always think it's, it's, it pays off more in the end. You know, if you focus more on lighting, yeah, whether it's, yeah. you know, using available light and just, you know, getting that right, um, or, you know, using off camera flash, for example, and, you know, getting to grips with that, you can, uh, I mean, you can really add to your gear list relatively cheaply, you know, by buying, you know, a cheap third party speed light the young new the young new ones i've i've got four of them i believe three or four of them yeah young new ones and 
they're they're like the 120 quid versions like they're which are basically their upper end yeah yeah you don't need them you can get them for 70 quids exactly or you can get them second hand for Absolutely. 40 or 50 probably yeah, that's it. you can get cheap modifiers like a, a pop-up softbox for example or an umbrella you know in a cheap light stand that's it you know the whole thing could probably set you back some like you could probably get the whole thing for like 70 quid yeah you know and that's yeah, it yeah, yeah. so that's uh you know that's a much more useful way of spending your time definitely i guess especially in the beginning oh by the way as we're like talking about our top 10 you know beginner mistakes if you have any um you know particular mistakes that you know that you have a gripe with you know, get in touch let us know you know send us a message uh, leave a comment be really interesting to hear maybe we're missing out some maybe you agree maybe you disagree uh, but it'd be really interesting to hear your um your opinion anyway so focus on gear number one now my seconds you know my, my second mistake in the, in the top 10 of beginner mistakes is it's really not knowing the camera shooting modes not knowing the camera shooting modes yeah so it's only natural that, you know, as a beginner, you're probably going to start out in auto. And eventually, you're going to make that transition to completely manual, which is fine. But understanding all the shooting modes, whether it's aperture priority or shutter speed priority, that's, it's really super important because it can make your life a lot easier in a in any given shooting situation. Yep. You know, and understanding the exposure triangle is absolute key for any beginner. Absolutely. So, you know, practicing that is super important because understanding it in theory is one thing, but actually seeing the effects of shutter speed and ISO and aperture in reality, especially how it relates to your lens and your camera, that's really super, super, super important. Absolutely. So it's, uh, you know, in, in my view, it's, it's absolutely critical to really get to grips with those. That, that's how I learn what aperture, shutter speed, and ISO actually really do. That's how I very first learned was by using those modes. I would put it in auto ISO. I'd put it in aperture priority. So literally the only thing I can affect is the aperture. Everything else will take care of the general exposure because yeah. it's automatic then, except for the aperture. So I can really see what aperture does to my image. Yeah. And then exactly the same settings, but into shutter priority. And then um, move from that into, you know, eff effectively into manual at that point. Um, and then started playing around with ISO a bit more, but that's a little more, that's easier to get to grips with ISO. Yeah, I kind of did the opposite actually. I went. I sort of went straight in to manual. I literally took the camera out of the box and went auto. Forget about that. Let's go, let's go all manual. I had ah, zero idea. And you're uh, shamed into going into manual. <laughs> well, and so uh, it took quite some time for me to get to get to grips with um, with everything. But what it did do was, uh, I mean, it really gave, gave me really good fundamental understanding mm -hmm. of the exposure triangle. And the only reason I started, um, you know, getting into some, some of the some semi-automatic modes like aperture priority um, or, or shutter speed priority was, was just simply because um, I started shooting concerts and there were certain situations where I kept missing shots because I kept changing 
the settings all the time. And I realized it just took too long yeah. to change, you know, to change my settings um, and to react to changing lighting conditions and everything else. So, um, you know, I found that using some of the, uh, the semi-automatic modes actually made my life easier. And the other thing was, of course, shooting events. That's another thing where, you know, Aperture Priority can, can come in really, really handy. Yep. Um, because it just allows you to focus on what you're shooting rather than having to constantly changing your settings. Absolutely. Yeah. And Aperture Priority is, you know, when I'm not in manual, is the one I use most. Um, yeah. Occasionally I'll go into shutter if it's, if I do need to control, control the shutter effectively. And what that means sure. is generally something that's moving yeah. at a decent, decent pace, right? And, you know, that's, that's pretty much it. You well, know, the, the, thing in, the thing in event photography is, is that you're there to capture moments. Yeah. And if you keep puffing around with your camera settings all the time, you end up missing moments. And that means you're sort of missing the point in what you're doing there in the first place. Yeah. So letting the camera take control over some of your settings can actually make your life a lot easier because you know you're getting the shot. And as a consequence, you know, you end up capturing the moments, you end up having better shots to deliver. Um, and, uh, you know, it, ha it only has a positive impact on the work that you, yep. that you create. And so therefore, you know, hopefully your clients like your work more and you get more work as an end result. Well, there you go. That's it. You know, aperture priority, the money maker. <laughs> What's next? Shooting JPEG. Okay. So shooting JPEG, um, this is controversial, isn't it's it? It's very controversial. Well, is it controversial? It probably isn't. It probably, depends what you're about to say. Probably isn't. Right. So shooting JPEG can have advantages and it can have major disadvantages. Yeah. Obviously, one of the advantages of shooting JPEG is that you can, um, Oh, it's the Brothers. <laughs> it's the Brothers. It's the Brothers. <laughs> it's the Brothers. Yeah, one of the advantages of shooting JPEG is, of course, that JPEG files in themselves are much smaller. They don't take up as much space on your memory card. Yep, true. But the reality is, I mean, SD cards are relatively inexpensive nowadays. So yeah. it's really not so much of a problem, you know. Um, the big disadvantage is, is that everything is literally baked into the file. So you don't really get as much flexibility in post when you're editing after after the fact. Um, you're stuck with whichever color profile you. You stuck with selected, pretty right? much whatever you have, and uh, you know, and if you're losing the definition in the shadows, or you know, your your highlights get close to clipping, then there's not much you can do about that. Mm. Um, and it's not, I mean, it's not entirely true. You can get some of it back, but you, you know, in no way are as flexible as you would be with, with raw files. The disadvantage of raw files, of course, is that you have to edit them. So there are situations where it might make sense to shoot JPEG and raw, which is what I do on my Fuji, for example, all the time. And when I went to Germany, I sort of I made a point in shooting JPEGs. I mean, I did shoot raw as well, just in case there's like an exceptional shot or whatever. But everything really that I shot on the Fuji was, you know, I just took the took the JPEGs, brought them over onto my phone, you know, put them into Lightroom Mobile and gave them a quick once over and that's it. And there are, there'll be certain profiles on different cameras, which it actually does really, really well. Oh, and I think yes. one of your black and white ones on the, 
which is what you said you were film, did a lot of shooting in while you're abroad. Yeah, correct. Your, your black and white profile on the Fuji is fantastic. It looks well, great. I also have a, a really cool color profile. So I really only use those two profiles to shoot. The is one a, thing though. Is that a profile that came with it or one that no, you that's created what I, yourself? That's what I created, yeah. But here's the thing. I really chickened out on this. And this is one thing I'm going to change <laughs> next week. I actually, I went into it thinking like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I spent two weeks um, only shooting black and white? Right. And it sort of takes a certain discipline to do that. Yeah. Because there are lots of situations where you think, oh, well, this is a really great sky or the lighting is beautiful and you switch to a color profile, right? And that's exactly what I did. And in the end, I looked at the photos that I shot whilst I was, whilst I was in Germany. I kind of thought, you know what? The next time I go, I'm going to be a lot more disciplined. And so when I go over next week, it's literally going to be a week of black and white. Yep. And I don't care. So that's the one thing. Yeah, where I kind of feel like chicken out a little bit on that. I got some cool shots, but actually, I think I was, again, I was sort of distracted by thinking whether I would shoot something in color or in black and white, a particular scene. So we had a few conversations with uh, some pro photographers, actually, um, on this podcast, uh, Scott Johnson, notably, who is really into shooting JPEGs. Yeah. And makes a really good point. <laughs> and if you want to listen and to that And he's a bit of all right. He? Yes, well. Um, if you want to listen to that, Exactly. So if you want to watch that episode, um, I'll put the link up here somewhere. But yeah, so... What's beginner mistake number four? Don't know. Tell me. Bad composition. Yeah? Yeah. 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 Composition is one of these things... I think, again, it's one thing that really comes with practice and by, by actually looking at loads of photographs, yeah, you're not really going to get around actually looking at loads of photography if you want to get better at photography. I mean, in the same way that you're going to have to listen to a lot of music if you want to get better as a musician. Precisely. So you can't really get around that. Yeah. You know, in composition, a way you place something in a photograph um, is what makes or breaks a photo. And too often, you know, I see the same beginner mistakes made again and again. You know, one thing would be, for instance, to center the subject right in the, in the center of the frame. Mm -hmm. It's just the thing that we would naturally do at the beginning. You know, you pick yep. up the camera, you point it at something, you make sure the thing is in the middle, your subject, and, you know, you take the shot and that's it. And don't get me wrong, there are circumstances where actually that's the right thing to do. Um, sure. The, totally depends on what you're doing. Particular yeah. portraits, particular whatever it might be, there are circumstances where actually that looks great. But but learning <laughs> something like the rule of thirds, for example, uh, can get you a long way of, of improving your photography. Yeah. You know, right off the bat. That's it. And if you are watching this on YouTube, um, I don't keep know an eye. Be able to see. Uh, keep an eye on the background. If you were just going past Windsor Castle, where in actual fact the Queen should reside. She, I don't know if she's room. in right now or not. How can you tell? She might pop to the shops. Oh. I think she might pop to McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, Ooh, well, have you eaten? And uh, well, as luck will have it, no. Well, maybe we can hit a drive-thru. Oh, there you go. Um, I've had literally kilos and kilos of sausages, but I haven't had a McDonald's. In, That's what she said. In, in like three weeks. 
I don't know where I'm going, by the way. Now, I mean, the other thing, you know, other than just centering the subject, the other thing that gets me all the time is basically shooting from eye level. This right. is such a beginner's yeah. mistake. You just basically grab the camera, you bring it up to your eye, you know, you look through the viewfinder or... It's so natural, isn't it's such it? It's such a natural thing to do. It's such an easy trap to fall into. Rather than trying to change the angle, you know, getting down on the ground, you know, something interesting with it. Yeah, yeah, finding a higher vantage point, you know, something like that, um, just to, just to create some, you know, some kind of meaning in a photograph. You know, uh, one good example. So, if it's one of the shots I took just whilst I was away, uh, was a shot of my my youngest daughter roller skating, and uh, she, you know, she practiced her roller skating. She did really well, and I wanted to kind of. I wanted to take a photo of her that really showed off her kind of, you know, her ability and her excellence, essentially. And so choosing a lower angle and making her, you know, appear imposing uh, will well, really do that. That's exactly what I was going to say. Did you go low for yeah, that one? Exactly. Went, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for that. It feels imposing, like she's in charge. Yeah, she's in you, charge. Did she you get the skates it. in? Exactly. So Brilliant. So that's just a, you know, it's one little example of how you can vary your angle and actually put some meaning back into the photo. Um, you know, had I shot her from a higher vantage point, it would have had more of a diminishing yeah. kind of effect. So you really want to think about, you know, where you, you know, where you place your camera with regards to the subject that you want to shoot and what you want to express in the, in the photo. But it's a typical beginner's mistake is really shooting from eye level. Yeah. And again, and, and with all of these, it's, that doesn't mean that it's the wrong thing to do in certain circumstances. I think we're out of focus. Are we? Oh, well. No, Maybe we're, we're out of focus. Never mind. <laughs> no, we're back in focus. No, we're back in focus. Okay. Um, it doesn't mean that if you, you can't shoot from eye level. That's not what we're saying at all. Yeah. It's just understand how to do it and why you would want to do it from other kinds of angles. Yeah. And then you'll know, actually, this is an appropriate moment to do it from eye level. Exactly, because there might there might very well be a reason for for doing that. Reportage yeah. might be you know one of those examples, or now, you might just be really short. And <laughs> for us, that's shooting yeah, from down, shooting from the hip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, lack of depth in the in the photo is the other thing you know that you find a lot uh, with you know with beginner photographers. It's just not thinking about foreground, midground, and background. Yeah, you know, uh, not being able to control the aperture to the point where you can, for instance, you know, blur out the background to create some bokeh mm -hmm. or, um, you know, or placing objects in the foreground to create some depth between the viewer and the subject. It does all things that when you analyze photographs, you'll find that those devices are used a lot. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. a very, very common sort of Instagram shot you see a lot is, you know, when somebody shoot something through some branches or through some leaves or something like that, you know, in the foreground, you immediately get that sense of depth. You get yeah. that sense that the subject, the main subject is further away from the viewer. You know, so again, it's one of these things you might want to think about and then you want to practice that. Um, that has an immediate effect on your camera settings potentially. So again, it's a really important thing to, uh, to practice. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And then of course something, you know, the next point is really something that we've mentioned early on, but it's bad lighting, like bad lighting. Mm is one of the telltale signs. I mean, I've, I've never really seen, you know, a professional photographer create an image that's 
lit badly. What 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 does lit badly mean? I mean, as in like you know, for instance, you know, creating raccoon eyes, for instance, by you know shooting in the middle of the day and having the sun, you yep. know, right on top of your subject, for example, oh. or placing, you know. But again, that might be a very particular <laughs> look that you're going for. Yeah, if you're shooting portraits of raccoons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, for instance, you know, placing your subject um, so that your subject's facing the sun, and all you get is like somebody just clenching eyes shut. Mm. You know, these these are like you know very basic things, but you know, thinking about how to light your subject, how the light falls onto your subject, um, learning the differences between hard light and soft light, um, you know, learning, um, you know, off camera flash, uh, getting used to the effect that different modifiers have. All of that's really an important part of your learning as a mm. as a new photographer, and uh, you know, focusing on lighting. Is something that's just really important. I mean, for me, I did that very early on. Actually, um, I got my first off-camera flash like a week after I got my camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, and I was experimenting with that first without any modifiers, and then I started. I had a, I got a, a fold-up softbox, and I started experimenting with that, and it just went. Well, I went a little overboard with that, so now I have a whole room full of modifiers <laughs> <laughs> for all sorts of different games. But, but yeah, I'm well, probably along the lines of that. Is don't use the built-in flash on your camera, please. That's right. There and might there might be little moments where it's better than nothing. Chances are, nothing is better. <laughs> but I might, you know, one one moment where that could actually be uh, of use is, for instance, if you want to use some fill flash when you. You know, when you're taking an image, we're taking a photo of somebody like outside, you know, outdoors, the sun is behind your subject. You need to brighten that subject up a little bit. Totally. A little bit of fill flash. Will I think we're getting it. beyond the realms of beginner well, at that's, that point. That's though. very true. But nevertheless, something to certainly think about. I mean, Tommy Reynolds uses, he doesn't use the inbuilt flash. He uses another a ring flash around his lens to do a very similar yeah. job, right? Correct. Yeah, that's slightly more advanced. It is, absolutely. But the the principle of doing that is is there and but and Tommy you know, if you are listening better be. hopefully not in the car <laughs> then we'll have you back on the show uh, very soon uh, to talk about exactly that technique because that's really interesting yeah and I'm sure lots of maybe we can do it in person oh very good point very good point Tommy there you go all right so what's next so, oh soft focus I mean soft focus Again. We had a bit of that back there. Well, exactly. <laughs> See? Beginner's mistakes. Well, that's because we're not paying attention and it's on auto. <laughs> and we're also driving at the same time. Uh, yeah, soft focus is one of these things, you know, uh, there, there, there can be a number of reasons for why your focus might be soft, but it's definitely one of the uh, main things you need to be able to control. And uh, so again, this is a typical, typical beginner's mistake. You know, soft focus can can happen because of the shutter speed, for example. If shutter speed is too low, yep. then uh, things can, you know, camera shake can come into into play, uh, especially when you're shooting handheld. Um, uh, you know, if there's movement involved in the subject, for example, your shutter speed is too low, things are going to get fuzzy. You know, obviously not necessarily what you want. Sometimes it might just be what you want, but generally speaking, it probably won't be. Yeah. And the other thing is when you are uh, shooting portraits, or just generally when you're shooting animals, you know, pets or humans, it's a really good idea to focus on the eye. 
And there's a typical uh, beginner's mistake, I think, is when you see images where, you know, the focus is uh, definitely not on the eye. Maybe it might be on either the eyelash, it might even be on the nose, or maybe even the ear in the worst case scenario. Or what I've seen a lot with pet photography is that the focus is on the nose. Tricky, that. That's a it? really tricky yeah. thing, because especially dogs, if you think about it, you know, it's the most uh, prominent place. Yeah, most yeah. dogs have a really long snout. The nose is considerably uh, further away from or closer to the camera in comparison to the eye. And now the question is, do we focus on the nose or do we focus on the eye? I think nine times out of 10, although it's, you know, for comical effects, focusing on the nose could be funny. But nine times out of 10, you'd really want to make sure you focus on the eye because that's really where all the life is. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, again, if you're, if you're a pet photographer and you disagree, <laughs> you know, get in touch. That's my impression anyway. And all the times I've taken photos of my dog. Yeah. That is the conclusion that I've come to. Anyway. Um, and, you know, one way of, um, of getting better results, as far as your focus is concerned, is to use something called back button focus. Mm -hmm. You know, back button focus is essentially when you use, if you imagine when you're, um, when you're focusing on something, typically what you do is you press down the shutter button and you press it about halfway. The autofocus system starts focusing, then you press it all the way and it takes the shot. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, back button focus is, it really just means that you're separating the uh, focusing and the taking the shot bit, and you're basically applying that to two separate buttons. So the focusing bit will be a button on the back of the camera, um, some kind of function button that you can operate with your thumb, which basically then leaves your index finger to press the shutter button to take the shot, which also means that you can. Um, you know, you can set your focus to servo or continuous focus. And it basically means that as long as you keep your thumb on the button, it will carry on focusing and you can then just use your next one to take the shot. So by separating those, um, those two elements, you tend to get much better focusing results. So you, you tend to get more keepers in inverted yeah. commas. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So your yield in terms of in-focus uh, images will be higher. So that's really something um, to bear in mind. And if you haven't experimented with that, you know, try it. It might feel a little bit awkward for the first two minutes. Yeah. But before you know it, once you get used to it, you'll never go back. That's, That's absolutely. There are a hundred videos out there on how to oh, do it for your particular definitely yeah. camera. Um, yeah, it's as it's as simple as assigning that back button to it. Yeah. And unassigning um, the main yeah. shutter button. So number seven. Is this the camera moved, or is it just me? It doesn't look quite as straight as it did. Yeah. It is that loose? Oh, well, if we're going a bit wonky, apologies. <laughs> Not changing it now. Anyway, next. Anyway, point number seven. The lack of action, movement, and emotion in a photo. Yeah. So, uh, you know, typically, example, if we stick with the dog example, this is, what is an example that's, uh, that's used a lot. You know, you point your camera at your pet, like your dog or your cat, as they're sleeping, you take a picture of your pet. That's what you get, sleeping dog. I mean, it's a picture of your dog, I guess, but it's not particularly interesting. Yeah. You know, you really want to make sure that you, just, you, you capture some kind of movement or some kind of emotion in the image. It's really sort of that other dimension that makes a photograph work. It's almost a difference between a, a photo and a snap to a certain extent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a way of looking at it. And, you know, 
the way that you get there is, well, first of all, by being patient. In a lot of situations, you just simply have to be patient to get a shot. Street photography is what I've learned, is one of these things, where sometimes you just have to, you know, just to hang around in the corner, you know where you want to shoot, you just have to wait for the right person to walk through that bit of light or whatever it might be, and you just have to be so, patient and wait for it, and wait for it to happen. So, were you, were you sat there kind of, you know, looking a bit like a pest? Were you <laughs> in a long Mac? Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Big fedora. Big fedora. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, just knowing when those impactful moments happen, because that's really what you what you want to photograph ultimately is you know something with impact. You know, uh, wedding photographers know that because just you know just photographing the couple isn't really going to do it. What you want is you want to capture those moments, you know, the glimpses, the kisses, all that kind of stuff. Yep. You know, those are the things you want to capture. And what that means sometimes, very often actually, is that you have to get into the driving seat and actually direct your subject. So that's where it boils down to, you know, confidence, experience, and really, I mean, ultimately just confidence to actually, you know, to actually just say, right, I want you to do this or that, you know, um, move your head this way, bring your chin up, blah, blah, blah. Or you could be a little bit more you know, a, a little bit more, not necessarily vague, but you communicate with your subject in, in lots of different ways. You give yeah. the direct instructions yeah. or you can basically say, just, you know, hold each other as if you're, I don't know, carrying her over the the door, the threshold. Threshold, that's it. I was going to say the doorknob. The doorknob. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Maybe that's where I went, went wrong when I got married. <laughs> I carried her over the doorknob. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she'll appreciate you saying oh, well. that. So the question is, do we pit stop now? I think we should. Before we go to points 8, 9, 10 and 11. That's all right. We can carry on for a minute. It's probably busy. Yep. Right. Anyway, point number eight. It's using the wrong lens or focal length. We sort of hit on that. Um, a minute ago, it's, it, I mean, it's really important to know uh, which focal length to use, you know, especially I mean, a good example is you know, portraiture, for example, we talk about this all the time, mm. you know, uh, using the right focal length in portraiture makes all the difference between um, making your subject look comically distorted yep. or making the proportions look, you know, realistic. And, you know, that being said, so to give you an example, like typically in portraiture, you know, the 85 is my absolute favorite portrait yep. lens it's look it's so <laughs> sorry this camera's so on the piss <laughs> i'm actually going to try and straighten it up you can carry on talking though which in british english by the way means it's not straight how's that so looks better better yeah a bit high maybe oh well maybe. anyway carry on anyway so yeah so the 85 is my personal favorite yep. generally because it just works really well but it doesn't mean to say that there aren't situations where you'd want to use different focal lengths for example you know 50 mil um, I like using that when I do more than just a headshot type of a thing mm -hmm. so that works really well for um, anything from a like a three-quarter shot to um, you know even a even a full-length shot works really well with a 50 that's what I find anyway um, it depends a little bit on the angle but yeah but that's yeah. sort of a go-to kind of a thing 
Um, and then, of course, if you want to create a particular effect, like I do in the three heads in a row project, for example, where I want the subject to look slightly cartoonish and comically distorted, that's where I'd use um, a much wider focal length. So more than like 24 mil, you know, 24 to 30 mil top end. Um, and of course, if you're shooting architecture or, um, you know, or landscape, for example, you quite naturally want to use much wider lenses. Yeah. You know, like 24s, like 35 mil works really well in street photography, for example. It gives you like yeah. a really good, really almost like cinematic kind of uh, field of view. You know, landscape 24s, um, all the all the way to like the very super wide end, like 14 mil, you know, on a full frame camera, for example. Um, and the same with architecture. You know, these super wide uh, lenses work really well for architecture. You know, if that's the kind of look that that you want to um, that you want to create, so just knowing what which focal length and uh, which lens to use for the purpose that you're using it for is extremely important. Um, we did, you know, a, a couple of uh, sort of architectural uh, jobs not too long ago, like interior photography, for example. The right uh, choice of lens and focal length is absolutely critical in this. Otherwise, you know, you just won't get any usable results. It's stop one complete. Bellies filled. <laughs> Where were we? I've gotten. Oh, point number nine. Down the road. Bad posing. Bad posing. Bad yeah. posing. Yeah. Yeah. Bad posing. It's one of these things. We mentioned it um, a minute ago. But really, just knowing how to pose somebody and how to take charge, you know, how to direct is is really vitally important. It just gives you a much better result in the end. And what would you, what would you class as a bad pose? Well, a bad pose is, for instance, you know, let's just imagine you photograph a couple and you just like, you know, <clears throat> have them both standing next to each other doing nothing. Right. <laughs> Facing the camera full front. Yeah. It's like a typical example of, well, okay, there's right. nothing happening. There's no interaction between, between the characters in the, you know, in the photo. So you want, you know, especially when you have, um, a couple or, you know, or, or two people or a group in a, in a photo, you, you want, you want people to interact to some degree, you know, that's, that's really quite important. Yeah. And, yeah. um, Without it looking too staged. And that, that's where some experience comes into play, yeah, exactly. isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, getting people to relax in front of the camera, you know, um, directing them in a way that doesn't make it feel put on or, you know, or staged is, you know, that's really quite important. And again, yeah. that just really comes with experience. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. Um, <clears throat> I think if you find if you're photographing younger people these days, they might actually be quite natural at it um, because of the Instagram age, let's say. Um, what you do find is you end up with the same pose. Oh, wow. <laughs> with the pout. The, <laughs> oh, the pouts. Oh, man. I couldn't hold back the other day. I had to go to uh, Costco and have my my member uh, my membership card renewed. And you had to take a picture of you right there and then. For the okay. Card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of yeah. course, I immediately went into posing mode. Of course you did. <laughs> Vogue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Help. 
But um, <clears throat> then she goes, what do you do for business? <laughs> well, couldn't you tell? Oh, my God. I'm a professional model. Exactly. Oh, man. <clears throat> I could be a part-time model. Ooh. If any of you out there listening who know um, Flight of the Concords, that was <laughs> yeah. a reference. If. Okay, well, bad posing. Now, number 10 in the top 10 of beginner mistakes. The classic. The one that we've all made over editing. Ah, easiest thing in the world to do. Oh my God. I came across an old Lightroom catalog of mine that's years old. Um, and there was back in the day when I, you know, I split up my Lightroom catalogs by year. Mm-hmm. And, and so I kind of thought, you know, just out of curiosity, I'll just have a look, I load it up and I see what you know, what's in there, because I completely forgot what kind of images were in there. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, and they were really terrible. Like, in, in what way? Oh, we'll, com- kind of over-edited. Completely over I mean, the, you know, the standard is basically, you know, oversaturated, right. way too much, uh, either, <clears throat> yeah, too, way too much contrast. Yeah. Um, way too crunchy, you know, like totally way over the top. And of course, what that does is it immediately like breaks up the skin tones, which is mm-hmm. terrible. Um, and then, of course, for as far as you know, retouching is concerned, we look at like old, um, old retouch like portraits or headshots or something like that. You know, again, the skin is like way, way overcooked. Like you're a Barbie doll. Like you're a Barbie doll. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's um, but it's all part of learning. You know, all of that's fine. It's all you know, that's all part of learning. Um, and you get better, you know, as you, as you do it, you know, and that's I think thing. it helps to go back to, you know, a year ago, five years ago, 10 yeah. years ago, whatever it might be. Yeah. And just have a little look. So I think it's good to know how far you've, you've come. Oh, you absolutely. Know? And it's surprising. Oh, you may go, oh, you know what? I like that. I'm going to go and try that again. <laughs> so <clears throat> there are a few instances where I looked at some of the images and I went, actually, I quite like them. You know, I don't edit like that anymore, but. In actual fact, yeah, you know that's not bad at all. Absolutely. So, yeah, but ninety-nine percent of that was really uh, pretty terrible. But you know, at least progress is noticeable. Yeah. So that's it. You know, in that respect, it's you know it's good. In that you will find that obviously. Yeah, yeah. You know, because you get to you got to get used to not only the software and everything else, but you also have to get used to seeing things. Like your eye has to train and get better yeah you know that's that's really uh that's quite important so excuse me now that was point number 10 but we do have a bonus point (laughs) clearly i i do hope Clarity works really well, and it just sounds like you're shouting for no reason. Exactly. I don't think it will on that, but there you go. Right. The bonus point. I mean, point number 11 in the top 10 of beginner mistakes clearly has to be stop watching bloody YouTube and start making photographs. Wow. You know. And on that bombshell. <laughs> on that bombshell. No. Um, it's one of these things, I think, you know, 
learning is impossible. Uh, it's it's um, important, not impossible. Learning is important, you know, and uh, YouTube can be a, an amazing resource for that, yeah. obviously. But it's really easy to kind of get drawn into that and yeah. get bogged down into like watching one video after another. And unless you actually pick up the camera and start shooting stuff That's and putting it. it into practice. What's the point in watching it if you're not going to put it into practice? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, by all means, yeah, check out some things, you know, on YouTube, but then pick up your camera and actually go try it, actually go, go try it. it. You know, it's so important. You're not really going to get better by watching something on a screen. You know, you're, no. it's, you're taking that knowledge and, uh, and putting it into action, turning it into skill. Because that's an important thing to remember is that knowledge does not equal skill. Yes. Knowledge is knowledge. Knowledge is knowledge and skill can come out of knowledge, but it's a whole different ballgame. So, yes. you know, so that's, uh, that's the bonus point. You know, number 11 is like, you know, stop spending too much of your time watching stuff on YouTube. You know, make sure you Unless get out Unless it's this, obviously. Unless it's a camera check podcast. So, because, yeah. you know, if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, make sure you head over to YouTube where you can see us in full Technicolor and you can find out why this episode may be sounding a lot. <laughs> well, that was a uh, particularly good unscripted segue to that. I like it. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that being said, we have come to the end of episode 116 of the Camera Shake Podcast. I was hoping it was going to happen when we pulled up at home. Oh, well. But now we're just... Um, it's not going to happen. We're too far away. Well, exactly. There you go. Anyway, so if you have, again, if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, you'll actually head over to YouTube. Um, otherwise, make sure you visit us on Instagram, TikTok, and all the other good platforms. Send us a message. Do you have any extra points? Uh, is there anything that we forgot? Anything that you want us to add? Anything that you want to add? What was that? Anything you can think <laughs> of that we haven't mentioned in our top 10 um, of beginner mistakes. It'd be super awesome. Also, do remember uh, that we will be at the photography show um, in September. We'll talk more about that next week. Uh, we'll give you an idea as to what's happening there. But uh, if you haven't booked your tickets yet, make sure you book your tickets. It's the biggest photography show in Europe, um, as far as I'm aware, and uh, we'll be there. So hopefully see you there. Anyway, that's episode 116. See you next week. See you later.